You know, I, I think that this month is going to be an incredible month. We're going to be walking through some topics that I think are extremely important to the church. They're important to me as an individual. I think they're important to us as a community. And uh, they're centered on this idea of health. And, and we're asking the question in this series, am I healthy? It's quite simple. Am I healthy? I know that sounds so practical, so, so pragmatic even. Like, am I healthy? What does that even mean? Well, this month we're going to invite the Holy Spirit and his word to help us diagnose our degree of health. Where are we in our spiritual journey and how healthy are we? And, and as we diagnose this health together, we're also going to look for some diagnostic tools that are going to help us further identify where we are healthy or unhealthy. A little less of that today. Maybe over the next few weeks, we'll spend more time working through those diagnostics. But we're asking and hopefully answering the question, am I healthy? Now, our concern for health is nothing unique to the church, right? Jesus is, is not necessarily got the, the corner market uh, or the market cornered on health. Uh, if you look all around our society, as a matter of fact, there's this growing trend towards really pursuing health in people's lives. We just came out of the new year. Everybody's got their New Year's resolutions. Of course, I think I, I discovered that no one in here, if I'm not mistaken, has New Year's revolution, resolution. So I guess that, that you know, we're, we're an outlier. We're unique in that sense. But a lot of people are making plans to become more healthy and more whole, right? New Year, new me, that type of thing. Joining the gyms and doing all of those things. And, and it's, it's because people are interested in becoming healthy, right? This is, again, it's something that, that people just generally have a draw towards. And it's not just physical health that people are interested in. People are really interested in holistic health. What is holistic? Well, it's mind, body, soul, spirit. People want to grow in, in many of these areas of their lives. And we see an uptick in people's pursuit of those things in our society. It's about the whole person. It's holistic health. And last week, we actually discovered that health is one of our new values here at Northwood Church. And we've been uh, we fleshed that out a bit there. We fleshed that out a bit at our, our prayer and uh, our prayer night at First Wednesday. And we're going to continue to flesh that out over this month. What does that value look like operating in our lives? And we want to we wanna begin to live out of health. We want to begin to live out of health, not just in the culture and not just the way that culture divine, defines health. We want to live out of a health that's deeply tied to the person of Jesus and his definition for health. And, and if we look at the Bible, we can see that God's design certainly is for us to have health and wholeness. And he desires that we would have not just physical health and wholeness and not just spiritual health and wholeness. He wants us to have holistic, whole mind, body, soul, spirit, health and wholeness. And he has a, not only a design, but a plan to bring us towards that. Now, in order to kind of set the trajectory for what that might look like, we want to go back to the Garden of Eden. Now, you guys know I have a habit of taking us back to the Garden of Eden. And the reason I do that is because in the Bible, there's something called the Law of First Mentions. And when we see things come up in the Bible, or whether it's a, a word or a certain principle or a theological framework, looking at where that thing became more clear to us in the first time that it became clear to us is, is an important thing to do. And the garden roots us in understanding God's design for humanity 
for flourishing in this world, for security in eternity, but it also shows us some problems that came up that disrupted God's design. Before we get there, though, we're in the garden. We see that God created mankind. All of heaven and earth and all that is in it, including man and woman, he takes dust from the earth and he breathes his breath of life into it, and man is now alive. And, and he looks at his creation, all of it, and he says it's very good, or it's good. But when he looks at man, he says, this is very good. Mankind is very good. Now, we at that time would have met Jesus' standard, fresh out the box, right? We're brand new, right? They just pop the tags off us. Jesus is like, look at this, sets us down, and he said, perfect. C'est magnifique, right? And, and, and we were, we were without blemish. And in that space, God shared his very essence with us. As a matter of fact, in the garden, everything was whole and complete. There was perfect harmony between God and man. Perfect harmony. That means our relationship with God was perfect and whole. That means... That means the way that we engaged God and understood God, the way that we view God and the way that we understood how God viewed us, there was, there was wholeness in that perspective. It was healthy. And he shares his essence with us, his love, his joy, his gentleness, his kindness, and even in that space, his peace. And as we experience the nature of God in perfect communion, in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship with the Father in the garden, we are whole, right? How many of you have experienced a moment of peace in your life where you're like, wow, that was so peaceful? It's just so serene. Nothing else in the world matters, right? And for just a second, you don't feel distracted. For just a second, you don't feel sick. For just a second, you don't feel depressed. For just a second, you have no worries, no concerns. Nothing else matters except for that moment of peace. And, and, and we like, we're always looking for that, right? But here in the garden, it was the way it always was. We were whole and perfect in God. Now that peace... The way that we understand peace oftentimes, we are thinking geopolitically, right? We're thinking our, our nation's at peace one with another. Or, or maybe we're thinking relationally. We're thinking about our friends or, or our, our, our spouse or our children or whatever that looks like. Is there peace in my home? Is there, is there peace between us, right? A lot of times you'll, you'll hear somebody maybe in a faith context say, peace be with you. They're literally saying, hey, I, I want you to go in peace. And it's not just an extension of a relational peace, but something more. Some, sometimes they're talking about wanting to, to bless you with a peace of mind. You ever want just peace of mind? And sometimes somebody will tell you, well, let me just share this with you so that you don't have to worry for your peace of mind. I want, I want, to, kind of, I want to make sure that you have peace in your mind. And, and that word peace, biblically, is actually this word shalom. And if you guys were participating on our Facebook group today, I saw some recent late entries about what shalom means to you. We kind of asked, hey, what, do you, what does shalom mean to you? And, and shalom means a, a, a number of different things. Shalom has a diverse interpretation. It does mean peace of mind. It does mean peace relationally and geopolitically. It does mean those things. But it means so much more. This word shalom means wholeness. It means completeness. It means soundness, welfare, 
or well-being. When somebody has your well-being in mind, they have your peace in mind. They want you to have peace, and it's complete and whole. It means it's more than a state of mind. It means it's more than just relationships, though it does include those things. It's actually a state of being where the whole of your person is at peace and complete and sincere and unfragmented. It's much deeper. It's much more profound than just this this mindset that we have. It's actually a picture of whole health in our bodies, whole health in our emotions, whole health in our spirit. God wants us to be healthy in relationship with him. And when he talks about shalom, peace, he's referring to all of those things. Ultimately, we were whole. We did have shalom in the garden because of him. It wasn't something that we manufactured on our own. And it was something that we had in him as we were part of him, as we were dwelling in togetherness, in, in right relationship We had shalom peace. Now, God in the garden defines what life was to look like for us, right? And so we see this shalom in the garden. But we also see that God defined our lives in a way that we would have dominion over all creation. That means we would essentially rule and reign over the created realm, right? And then he also uh, tells us that we have a certain direction that we're to walk, And he points us to a tree that we're able to eat out of. And he shows us all of these other things in the garden that are good for us, that are good for our flourishing, that are good for our health. But he says, let me give you some more direction. He says, you can't eat from that. He directs us not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And most of you know the story by now. We kind of rehearse this around here quite often. What did Adam and Eve do? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan deceived Adam and Eve. And when the serpent deceived, the man disobeyed. And the curse of sin and death fell on man. And now sin has disrupted our shalom. It's disrupted our wholeness. It's disrupted our health. Sin, like in our sins, our sin nature, but also the consequences of sin and death death and the brokenness that's now in this world because of sin. It's disrupted our shalom, not just physically, but holistically, the whole of our being. Now we've experienced holistic death in our body, soul, and spirit. Look at the next group of people that come along in the narrative of the creation story. Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's children. We see a relational battle. We see evil rise up in the hearts of men that wasn't there before the curse of sin and death. We see murder. We see injustice. And you see Since then and all throughout the biblical narrative and all throughout church history and the history of humankind and all throughout my own history, and I imagine some of yours as well, we see emotional traumas. We see people trying to medicate their emotional traumas and and seek some sort of Eastern transcendental meditative type thing to try to find this shalom and try to find this peace. We see mental anguish, 
people are searching after their therapies and they're searching after all these solutions to, to just imbibe some mental peace. And I'm not suggesting that medication and therapies don't have their place. I'm not saying that. But I am saying we often elevate those and we say, that's what we need. That's what's going to solve the problem. And we see disease. And so what do we do? We eat better. We move more. Hopefully we sleep better, which I'm not doing well at all. I, what is going on? I got to get some better rest. I guess it's the, this, this is the issue. I'm lacking some shalom in my restfulness. And there's death all around. There's war all across the world. There's destruction. There's disorder. And we're looking around, and we're, we're seeing all the wrong things. You can see it. You see what's in the world and what's wrong with it. You see what's in your own life and what's wrong with it. Many of us do. And we see all these wrong things, and we want them to be made right. And so we begin to seek justice, and we begin to try to legislate morality, and we begin to try to kind of modify our own behavior or modify other people's behavior, all trying to come up with some sort of fabrication of this shalom. What we really want is shalom. Society is crying out for shalom. And we try to manifest it without inviting the source of shalom to do what only he can do. That's God. That's Jesus that's the Holy Spirit, the one that brings shalom to those places of brokenness. And instead of, instead of making space for the creator, the one who brings us shalom, we elevate the created and we let the created take up residence on the throne of our hearts. And we never find that shalom. Maybe we get a little piece of it here and there. Maybe we get a little closer to it. Maybe we get a taste of it. But we don't actually walk in that shalom, that wholeness that God created us for. And Christ's disciples know that God is shalom. But I think sometimes we forget that God is calling us back to shalom. You know, an early church father, he's in the Bible, wrote a lot of the uh, letters in the New Testament, the, the letters to the churches. His name is Paul. And uh, Paul encountered Jesus in a powerful way. He, he found himself in a, in a place of shalom, wholeness in Christ and and, uh, and you know what? He wrote a letter to the, the church at Thessalonica. And the first letter that he wrote to them, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says this almost as a blessing to these people. And we see he uses this kind of language throughout his other letters as well. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, holy. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. That's righteousness. That's right. All those wrong things in our lives, he wants them made right. He sanctifies. The God of peace is the one who transforms us, the one who changes us. And he says, may all of these things happen at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we are. Living today, knowing that Christ came once, waiting on him to return again at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns for his bride and we're in that place in between and things aren't just so. They're not just right and we're still 
struggling for this peace that God says through his messenger Paul that he will bring to us. But you need to know that God's heart is to bring us back to shalom. He's not going to leave us in this mess that we're in. And you know what? In our lives, sometimes heaven will literally break through and all the blessing and all the wholeness and all the shalom and all the healing that comes from heaven, all of that breaks through in our lives and we experience some of that. We can experience a little wholeness. We can experience a little healing. God will do that in our souls, in our emotions, in our minds. He'll do that in our bodies at times. God does still heal. But his highest priority is to restore shalom or right relationship between us and him. Between us and him through Christ Jesus and his Holy Spirit, he wants to restore and make whole and bring peace to our spiritual man. It's so much bigger than what's happening here in this world. It's an eternal reality. It goes beyond this timeline that we live in. And he guarantees that he will make us whole in Christ. Now how? Well, Jesus is the way back to God's shalom. Jesus has a big role to play in this. As a matter of fact, it's the primary role here in this whole narrative. Now, many view Jesus simply as a teacher. And Jesus did teach and preach. Jesus taught and he preached the law and the prophets, actually, which was the ancient scriptures that these people that he was coming to, the Jews, had lived their life out of, had, had acknowledged that teaching, this, this book of wisdom, this book of the law, this, this book of how to live life in a way that honors God. They were living out of that. And he comes teaching and preaching and saying, I'm the fulfillment of everything that you see in those pages or on those scrolls. And, and he taught. And we love a guru, don't we? Like we look all over the place for a good teacher. We look all over the place for somebody that could just help us understand how to live life. Man, we're looking for people to tell us how to be fit, how to get our finances right. We're looking for people how to tell us how to, you know, organize our pantry better. We're looking for life hacks here and life hacks there. Right? We want all the details. We, we want to know how to, to do well. And we love a guru, but then when it comes to Jesus' teaching and preaching, something in our hearts causes us to resist that oftentimes. And I think it's because he was indicating by teaching that he was who the law and the prophets were pointing to, that he was the Messiah, that he was the way. Right? I think it's because what it does is it requires us to acknowledge that he has all authority. That takes the authority away from us. It takes the authority away from everything else. And nobody wants to surrender their authority. But Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he's teaching us and preaching to us and, and helping us understand that it's his authority that we're submit to submit to. Now, Lee mentioned just a moment ago that you can follow along in your uh, Bible app. Uh, if you wanted to, you know, look there in those verses, that's great. You can, if you decided to break away and go look at Mark chapter 2 uh, and, and maybe highlight some stuff in there, you can do that as well. Uh, it's also going to be on the screen. Maybe you got a paper Bible, highlight some stuff, take some notes. I think that's great. But we're going to be spending our time in Mark chapter 2 over the next little while. And we see Jesus 
in Mark chapter 2 uh, in a place called Capernaum. And he's in a home, and he's surrounded by disciples, and they're listening attentively to him. And some of the disciples knew him primarily as a teacher. They kind of wanted that guru interaction with him. But some of them knew him as more. Some of them knew Jesus more as a healer. And some of these people brought their friend to him for healing. Their friend was a paralytic. And they wanted Jesus to do what they believed Jesus could do. And so we're picking up in chapter 2, verse 4, where it says they couldn't get near Jesus, the, the friends that are bringing this paralytic, because of the crowd. Imagine this for just a moment. Jesus in a house. And he's teaching and preaching hard things. I have all authority. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting on. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what I've come to do, to seek and save the lost, to destroy the works of the enemy. And he's surrounded by people. People are literally probably falling literally out of doorways. They're jammed up in the hallway. They're trying to get a view. They're listening around. Because obviously these people couldn't get through the house to Jesus. So much so that they removed the roof above him. <laughs> Somebody come to my house and the house jammed up because of Small groups popping. I'm just saying, I'd rather you not remove the, the roof. Let's just ask some people to move, okay? There's got to be a better way. And so they removed the roof, and when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Pause there for just a moment. You have any friends like this in your life? Sometimes, we, sometimes I'm paralyzed by fear. I'm paralyzed by Physical limitations. Man, I was laying up in bed just a few months ago. Couldn't move. I was paralyzed. Have you ever been paralyzed in life but had some friends come to you? And they said, no. We're going we're gonna to go to extreme measures. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to bring you to the feet of Jesus. I, I love that I'm surrounded by friends like that in my life. I want to be a friend like that to my friends how many of you guys want a friend like that? These are the kind of friends we need in our lives. People that will literally climb up on a rooftop, hatch it a, a hole in the roof, and drop you down at the feet of Jesus because they believe Jesus can give you what you need. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, hold on now. Your sins are forgiven. Why was that Jesus' response, that your sins would be forgiven? Why would Jesus, when this man is paralyzed and when these, these friends brought him for, for physical healing, why would Jesus focus on that? I, I imagine them asking, Jesus, heal him. That's why we brought you here. We've seen you do it before. You could do it again. <laughs> you ever prayed, God, heal this person. Heal this friend. Heal, heal this, this one that I love so much. Display your authority in this moment that you really do have the ability to heal. It's for your glory, God. I imagine them thinking this way. And Jesus says, you're forgiven. He elevates the importance very clearly here of our spiritual healing taking precedence over any other healing in life. But I also think that Jesus was saying, I have a greater authority than just being able to heal your body. I can do much more than that. 
I have the authority to forgive sin. And, you know, this was a big deal for Jesus to say that because the audience that was in that house, the people that were, like, gathered around, they all knew that only one had the authority to forgive sin. Only one. Who was that? God the Father. God himself had the authority to forgive sin. And they hear Jesus saying that he can forgive sin. And the scribes of the Pharisees that were there in that place, they criticized him. They called him a blasphemer. And, and the reason they did that is because, in essence, Jesus was literally saying, yeah, I know you know that God has the authority. Well, guess what? So do I. Why? Because I'm God. That's what he was saying. And they condemned him, a blasphemer. And in the following verses, Jesus doubles down. He uses another Old Testament title that would have been pointing to the Messiah in the scriptures. He calls himself the Son of Man, picking up in verse 10. It says that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now he heals them. First, forgiveness. Now let me show you the kind of authority I have. And he heals them. And that man rose. And, and, and I know it says that he immediately picked up his bed, but I wonder how much time did it take from between the moment where Jesus said, rise and walk, and the time that he actually picked up his bed. I, I imagine he started wiggling those toes just a little bit, like, what do you mean? And then, and then started kind of moving around just to check on things. He's paralyzed. One foot under himself. Everybody's looking at him like, oh, my God, you see what's going on here? This is crazy. Everybody's like, yeah, you know, and, and he's moving his legs, and he gets it under him, and he, and he just stands up slowly, not sure, and he's probably got his eyes fixed on Jesus. He's probably looking right in the eyes of the one who just not only forgave his sin, but just said, rise and walk, and he gets to his feet, and I'll bet for just a moment. I'll bet for just a moment there was like a cheer erupting in that place. And immediately he grabs his mat. I just took a little liberty there with the scripture. Forgive me for that. I'm just imagining, you know. That's not what it says. I just want to be clear about that. But I'm imagining that could have happened. And he takes his bed and he went out before them all. Probably filled with awe and wonder over this God that just touched his life, that just transformed him from the inside and out, that just healed him holistically in the spirit and his body, probably filled with worship. And when Jesus, and when, and when they saw him, they were all amazed, and they glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. He says, I'm the son of man. I have the authority and the power to forgive and heal. I have the keys to open up all the blessings of heaven. I bring health and wholeness. I bring shalom, peace. Jesus shows them. And they say, we've never seen anything like this. Have, have you ever in your walk with God had a moment where you're like, I have never seen anything like this. I know not everybody has the same salvation story. My salvation story, there was a moment 
Not everybody has that, and that's okay if you don't. But in my salvation story, there was a moment where the grace of God just filled my heart in a way that caused me to see him and myself differently. And literally, I saw the world differently. Colors were different. I smelled different. Like, like I was transformed in a unique way. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I've never seen nothing like this. This is crazy. I, even, I sat down for breakfast with my brother and the friend that was there in the space when the next morning, he was there when, uh, when I woke up on his living room floor and he said, you're saved. I said, you're right. <laughs> And we're sitting down eating breakfast. I was like, guys, I, I, I don't know how to explain this. Everything is different. And maybe you haven't had that exact moment. But maybe you've had other moments in your life where you saw God just dole out a little grace. Dole out a little healing. Dole out a little peace. Dole out a little comfort. Dole out a word in due season from a friend. And you're like, wow. Never heard or seen anything like that before. Because nothing compares. Nothing compares to what we see in Jesus and what he wants to do in our lives. And I know for some of us, hearing that can be hard because our lives have been filled with trauma. Our lives have been filled with hurt. Jesus healed this man. He hasn't healed me. He hasn't healed that person. I've been praying for that person. I still don't see the healing. When Jesus heals, then I'll be amazed. We start thinking that way. Don't we? When Jesus, when Jesus does what I've asked him to do, then, then I'll believe. Then, then I'll trust him. But remember, Jesus here elevated that our spiritual healing is of the greater importance than these physical healings. And so sometimes we're waiting on these other healings to come. And, and, and he's shown us that forgiveness in and through Christ, the grace of God being poured out on our lives, salvation through the faith, the gift of faith that he's given us is really his highest priority in our lives. And you know what? We can be amazed by that work that he's done in our lives. We can look and say, he saved me. I've never seen anything like this. Because no one else can do that for you. He offers forgiveness for sins and the sin that ensnares us. And the reason he can do it is because Jesus is God. And some of us struggle to even receive that forgiveness. I think some of us struggle to receive that forgiveness. We struggle to forgive ourselves. We, we, we kind of place a higher standard on, on, on what we're willing to forgive than what Jesus himself forgives, right? And Jesus is like, hey, I'll offer you forgiveness. Just trust in me. And we're like, nope, can't be forgiven. Sorry. He's like, no, but really, I mean it. Like, I, I'm willing. <laughs> I want to. I love you. I'm trying to bring you shalom. Nah, nah, I'm beyond forgiveness. That's not me. Well, I think Jesus wants us to receive his forgiveness and he wants us to walk in it. And maybe you need to know that Jesus will forgive, forgive all kinds of people. Let me give you an example. In Mark chapter 2, still there, Jesus is reclining at the table with what the culture, people in the culture would have considered unsavory, people who are sinful. He's at the table. I love it. He's doing hospitality, right? Love of strangers. And the scribes, once again, they're critiquing and challenging his choice of table mates. You going to sit with that guy? You going to sit with that woman of the night? You're going to sit with that person or this person? You're going to, really, Jesus? And in verse 17, Jesus is hearing their loveless critique, and this is how he responds. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... He's saying those who are sick have need of a physician. 
I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Now, what he's not saying is that there's a group of people who are righteous enough to not need what Jesus is bringing. As a matter of fact, what most scholars would suggest based on the Hebrew language and that culture at that time is that Jesus, being the jokester that he is, you ever see Jesus joking? He jokes sometimes. He's probably using a, a tone of sarcasm here, as a matter of fact. And, and Jesus sarcastically is saying, I didn't come for the self-righteous. You guys obviously have this figured out, don't you? No, 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 no. You don't need my righteousness. You've already got this all worked out. He said, I came for the ones that know that they're sick, that know that they're unrighteous, that know that they need my healing, my shalom, my wholeness that only I can bring. I came for the ones that are willing to acknowledge that I'm the one that can do these things. And so some of us are wondering, well, am I sick? We asked that question earlier. Well, this word sick in this text looks one way, but the same exact word used in a variety of scriptures all across the, 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 the New Testament. This, this is how we like to look at the Bible, make sure that we really understand what's happening, what is, what is uh, being communicated in the word. And so I compared it in all these different verses. And this word sick means emotion, it means grieved, vexed, and miserable. Sounds like that's playing with your emotions, doesn't it? It means diseased and diseased. It sounds like that's impacting your physical well-being, doesn't it? It means wretched and sinful. Sounds like a spiritual condition, doesn't it? This word sick, Jesus came for the sick, those who are holistically sick, and he wants to heal those who are sick holistically. He wants to bring his holistic shalom that makes whole and complete a sick people. And maybe you're in this room right now, and you've been on this path of pretending You've been pretending that you're not sick. You've been pretending that you don't need Jesus. You're pretending that you're righteous in your own actions, in your own works. You've been pretending that this is okay and that this is okay. And you're medicating this, trying to work through it. And I'm not suggesting that we don't need some grit here and that we don't need some, some medical intervention here. I'm not saying that. But, but maybe you've been pretending that that's all you need. But Jesus wants you to know that if you're sick, you need so much more than what you have to bring to the table. You need what only he can bring to the table. And some of you are here and you know you're sick. You know that Jesus came for you. And so we need to ask ourselves this question, am I healthy? Am I healthy or am I sick? And I'd be willing to wager a guess that because we live in the time after Christ conquered death and the grave through the resurrection, the, the cross and the resurrection, but before the time that he comes again to restore all things, I would imagine that probably every one of you in some way, if you were to be honest, feels a little sick. I would imagine that some of you are hurting in this room right now. And I know, because I hurt at times myself. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that all creation is groaning, travailing in pain, waiting on the return of Christ. 
waiting on Christ to come and fulfill his shalom and all the earth. And there's so many of us hurting. And I just want you to know, this is a safe place. This church, Northwood Church, Ocean Springs, and all of our locations, this is a safe place for you to hurt, for you to be sick. This is a safe place for you to not just be physically sick. We're going to pray for you. Pray and believe for physical healing. But, But it's not just... For physical healing where it's safe, it's also safe for you to have emotional sickness and mental sickness and, and even spiritual sickness. It's okay for you to be in this place and not have it all figured out. This is a safe place to work through your doubts, to work through your fears, to work through your anxieties. And, and, and you can trust that there's people here that are going to love you no matter what you're dealing with. Jesus loves us no matter what we're dealing with. That's why he came for us so that he could restore us and make us whole to bring us shalom. And so the question is now, how did Jesus restore shalom? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip some rocks here because I think you've heard this already today. But you need to hear it again. Jesus died on the cross. That's the first thing he did. He lived a perfect life, spotless, And he died on the cross as a spotless sacrifice. And the blood that he shed on the cross did something that maybe you're not familiar with his language, but it's called atone. He atoned for our sin, our imperfection, our brokenness. He paid for. That's what that means. He was a sacrifice in place of us and in place of any other sacrificial religious system. And he once and for all paid the price for our sin nature but also the consequences of sin in our lives. It says, the Bible says, by his stripes, the stripes that he took on his back when he went on that cross, by his stripes we're healed. Holistically, Jesus died on the cross. But he didn't stop there. He rose from the grave because he filled with power. And he's filled with all authority. And the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave, the same spirit that empowered Christ to wage war in the heavenlies against the darkness, to push back death, to push back sin, to push back the enemy, that same spirit that rose Christ dwells inside of every single person who believes. He said, I love you so much, and I want you so much to have shalom that I'm willing to come to you. And bring my nature and bring my character, bring my fruit in your life, bring my presence to bring about transformation. And while Jesus was waging war, you know what else he did? He crushed the serpent and the sin and death that the serpent brought to the world. And that sounds like a great promise. But for those of you that are in here right now and you're like, I, 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 believe, I believe here for sure. I want to believe here, but I'll just, I'll just be honest with you, Pastor Stephen. I, I feel like the enemy is still really working in my life. I feel like I'm really still struggling with a lot of things, a lot of bad decisions, a lot of sinfulness. Still struggling with my emotions and my mind. I'm struggling in my body. I'm struggling in my relationships. I'm struggling in all these ways. And you're telling me that the enemy's been defeated. Why am I still struggling so bad? Well, because this. Because we live in the place in between. Yes, in eternity, Jesus had 
crushed the head of the serpent under his foot. That's what happened on the cross and in that grave. Jesus overcame the enemy. But the fullness of that victory won't be realized until Christ comes again. We're in this place called the already, not yet. I want to look at Romans 16 real quick. This is one of the last verses for the day. It says, the God of peace, that's Jehovah Shalom. The God of peace will, future tense, soon crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet. Satan's head is crushed under Jesus' foot right now. But it won't be long before Satan's head is crushed under the body of Jesus, under your feet. We will have the victory. See, right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning in all of the cosmos. But when he comes back to earth to gather his people unto himself, when Jesus returns, we will rule and reign with him. We will share in the fullness of his authority, and the enemy will be no more. There will be no more consequences of sin and death in that place. And that's what we're longing for. That's what we're longing for. That place where perfect shalom is, where perfect wholeness and completeness is, where perfect peace is, where perfect health is. Am I healthy? Well, in Christ, spiritually, you are healthy. In Christ, holistically, you are journeying towards health. And over the next few weeks, we're going to flesh out some very practical ways to, to pursue holistic health in our journey. Dr. Andy Yarborough is going to be here next week, and we're going to get some incredible instruction and encouragement from a very godly man. This dude's awesome. We've, we've had him around a long time. He's a brother. But he's also very educated and very well-versed in, in, in the realm of helping us think through some of maybe our, our mental anguish, some of our emotional dis, discord, right? He's going to help us with that, and we're going to talk about relational, and we're going to go back to spiritual health as well. But, but ultimately, on this journey, we need to look to heaven where our help comes from. And this brings us to the last verse of today. Colossians 1.19 says, In him, that's Christ Jesus, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Every bit of God's power, authority, nature, it's all bound up in Christ. And through him, Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making shalom, peace, by the blood of his cross. Shalom, the path to shalom, comes through suffering. Jesus is suffering first on the cross and then our call to suffer well with him in this life. But do you know that his blood not only brings us shalom, peace and health and wholeness, the cross, the blood, it brought us the victory. And that's what we're here to celebrate every time we gather. And so I want to invite you to stand to your feet and I'm going to pray while we're on our feet that we would live in this victory. Father, we thank you for your word, for your promise 
that is yes and amen, we can agree with your promise that your word goes out and does not return void. It is not empty. It is to be fulfilled. Your promises are reliable. And we believe that in Christ Jesus, through the blood of the Lamb, we have health and wholeness. And while we see spiritual health, transformation, healing, and forgiveness in our spirit man, Lord, we know that we are awaiting the fullness of the restoration of our health in our being, holistically, in our minds, in our emotions, in our bodies. Lord, we ask that you would help us to persevere as we wait on the fullness of that shalom health to come to us. We ask, God, that you would encourage us along the way that we would be an encouragement to one another as we take steps in our journey individually and as a faith family, Lord, that, that we would grow together in health because that is your design for our lives. God, for those that have never put their trust in Jesus, God, I ask that you would just open their hearts, soften their hearts, take out a, a heart of stone that's lifeless, that does not believe, that has no faith, that's not been washed by the blood of Jesus and made new, and replace that with a heart of flesh that comes by the, the breath of the Holy Spirit. Would you regenerate people in this room today in Jesus' name? God, I thank you that you are saving, that you are forgiving. Even those that don't believe they can be forgiven, you extend your forgiveness to those who just call on the name of Jesus. And so we call on your name today, and we give you all glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.